1: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america
2: and a member fdsc this is the art of
1: charm learn everything you need to know to crush it in business love and life the art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men Welcome to The Art of Charm, I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we do have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with The Art of Charm and get some great stuff that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. That's where we'll email you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language and nonverbal communication, dating, attraction, persuasion, networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. I also want to encourage you to join us in the first social capital challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. This challenge is about improving your social capital, inspiring more people to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. During the first four weeks, we're going to be giving away something special as well, so keep your eyes open for details. You won't want to miss on what we're giving away either. The challenge will get progressively more difficult, so if you think networking is already easy, great. This will make you a better networker, and it will make you a better connector of people. Oh, and last thing, if you want to have accountability, please invite your friends to the theartofcharm.com challenge as well, and they can join the challenge too. Today we're talking with my friend Jason Connell on the show. We're gonna talk about being a high performer and how it won't solve all your problems, uh, how sleep and taking care of yourself come into play and how to do that a little bit better, mastering your inner voice, stop neglecting yourself, and a process he calls interviewing yourself, which I think is really interesting and probably super, super useful. I'm gonna check that out for myself. And we do a magic trick live on the show, which is kind of interesting and kind of random. Stay tuned for this awesome show with Jason Connell. Tell us what you do in one sentence.
2: One sentence, I teach self-love and self-compassion to exceptionally high-performing young adults.
1: So this is kind of an interesting conundrum, right, because don't high-performing people have self-love and self-compassion already? That's, that's the gut reaction I'm getting, right? So some do, some don't. It's it, like give or take, it's about 50-50. A lot of
2: people have felt love their entire life and fell into their passion at a young age and they went on to build like, Million dollar business, nonprofit, they're a professional athlete, professional performer, whatever. They're all set. The flip side, the other like 50% or so, what's happened to them is they have become addicted to external gratification, or they believed that when they made a million dollars, when they went pro, when they whatever, got straight A's, that suddenly they would love themselves. And in um, the way that alcohol tends to magnify however you already feel, Success does the exact same thing. So if you don't love yourself, if you don't treat yourself well, if you don't prioritize yourself, and then you become successful, it's just gonna get worse, not better.
1: Wow, interesting. So you can actually ignore the problem into becoming larger, like most problems, actually. But the idea of becoming a high performer is not actually gonna solve the problem, which is funny, because that's why most, I shouldn't say most. That's why a lot of people decide to become high performers, especially at a young age, because they're trying to please somebody themselves, their parents, whatever. And uh, that, so it's kind of counterintuitive.
2: Yeah, big time, big time, big time. And I'd like to be transparent or empathetic. I've fallen into that trap a million times in my life. I've thought, well, if I just get a girlfriend, or if I just make $100,000 this year, or if I just travel the world, then suddenly I'll be happy. Uh, It it took me a long time, and I think it takes a lot of people a long time to realize that like all that stuff, happiness, confidence, connection, whatever it is you're looking for, it pretty much starts inside you and with the emotional work of figuring out who you are and treating yourself really well so realizing you're worthy of it all.
1: Where do we start with the emotional work? Because that's that's kind of vague and also probably really important. (laughs) I appreciate you calling me out on that. It's super
2: vague. So for the average person that I work with, I, I, the first question I ask almost all of them is, hey, how many hours a night are you sleeping? And these days we wear sleep deprivation as though it's a status symbol. Yes. As though like if you get yeah. by on four hours of sleep, you're way more important than everybody else in the world. And that is total bullshit. The first level of emotional work for a lot of people has nothing to do with like digging into your childhood or what it may be, but actually taking good care of your physical body. Cause the, Relationship between the physical and the emotional is so much more interwoven than we realize. So the bare bones first step, if you are a person that on paper should be loving life, but played out in reality, something's missing, or you're quietly depressed or whatever, is like spot check how much care you're taking of yourself. Aim for eight, nine, 10 hours of sleep a night. Eat more fruits and vegetables, drink more water, and hang out with your friends. And then the real emotional work, once you've got the basic stuff down, tends to, I I think the first step I take with most people is asking them what their inner monologue sounds like. I'm sure, Jordan, you're aware of this, but some people listening might not even be aware that they have an inner voice. So the first step is to be quiet and just listen as your inner voice starts talking to you. And most people's inner voices, and this is totally true of me before I actually addressed it, most people's inner voices are an asshole. And it's your job to hear that and let it speak uh, and see what's true and see what's not true and move forward from there.
1: Yeah, most people's inner voice, it's, it's like if you treated your friends like you talked, if you talk to your friends like you talk to yourself, you wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunately really, really well said and really true. And high performers are probably even more likely to have this because what the high performer's voice says is you should be working right now. Well, look at you sitting on your butt. And then yeah. you, and you get out of the shower after a long day and it goes, look, this is what you look like since you don't work out is enough. Look at you! You know you're not taking care of yourself. I mean, people like I mean I, I know this because this is what happens in my own head a lot of the time, and then I have to go. All right, this is supposed to be motivating, but you're not doing it quite right. It's like a like your nasty grandpa who's like, "Hey, <laughs> look at you, you slob! Get back to work!" And it's like I appreciate what you're trying to do here, but I've got I'll take it from here. And you have to let your conscious mind kind of take over and go. Look, you, you work out three four times a week. You're eating decently. You're working hard. You. You know, you don't have to treat yourself that way. And and it's tough, because it's a conscious process.
2: Yeah, for sure. And this is where some of the deeper work starts, is like, the conscious thinking part of what's going on, that can be sort of manipulated. Like, we can manipulate what people think through marketing, or through comments, or through, like, making really strong appeals to them. Uh, and then when you move down to the emotional realm and tease out those two, that's where a lot of the magic starts to happen. But the going back real quickly to the inner voice, a lot of high-performing people, and actually, we don't even need to narrow the spectrum. A lot of people in general spend a huge amount of time comparing themselves to others. And when you do that, almost assuredly, you just notice how the other person is better than you. They're smarter, they're more attractive, they've made more money, or whatever. And that, the second you play that game, which, to be fair, is basically inevitable in a sort of capitalist Western culture. But you start losing because it's just a rigged game that you're going to lose because everybody has stuff that they're better than you at, and everybody has stuff that you're worse than you that they're worse than you at. And the high performer only ever really sees the gap between themselves and everyone else and how much worse they are right. without realizing what's great about them.
1: Right? Because you're you're doing this unfair comparison where you're comparing the idealized version of that person with the hypercritical version of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: The entrepreneur that just started his business three days ago compares himself to Mark Zuckerberg, forgetting that Zuckerberg is very gifted at the right place at the right time and has also been working on Facebook for what, like 10 or 15 years. It's just not, it would make no sense to make that comparison, but we do it to ourselves all the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and we continue to do it because we see that as sometimes it is motivating, so you say, well, since this is motivating me to continue, I'm just gonna keep doing it, but it it has that sort of, it does long-term damage to your psyche.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, big time. And with motivation, it's like, the
2: question I I hope people ask themselves is like, am I being pushed towards something or am I being pulled to it? Like, if, if you're being pushed and you're just like beating yourself up and it's a lot of uphill effort, probably you're in the wrong direction, but if you feel pulled and you're being swept away by the flow or the excitement and something that's natural to you, probably then you're on the right path.
1: Nice, so how do you start to teach this stuff? How do you start to give people practical applications? How can people start to look at this and, and take action?
2: Yeah, great question. So for me, as a as a speaker or consultant, the first step is always to form a connection and like be the first, like one of the interesting ways that humans work is if you want someone to open up, you should be the first one to open up. So I tend to, with any client or audience, be the first one to open up. And my personal story around this stuff is I had built in my early 20s a business that by any economic measure was successful. Um, I was flying around the country and at times the world first class. And when I was speaking, hundreds of people are coming to see me talk and all this stuff. And then I I got it off stage. I think I got a standing ovation, but I'm not sure. This is in Kansas City and went back to my hotel room. It was this luxury hotel room. I just broke down sobbing in this luxury hotel room after giving a talk for hundreds of people because I had totally neglected myself. The relationships I cared the most about were deteriorating if they even still existed. My physical health was crap. My mental health was crap. My spiritual life, if, if that's important to you, was totally non-existent. So the step one is to realize like, hey, we should be having these conversations. I will lean in and meet you there. And like, by no means does anybody have to have this conversation with me. But it's really useful to find somebody else that's willing to open up and connect at that level, because it's really, really, really common. So once people are open, the biggest suggestion I would make, you know, like we said, focus on your on your sleep and and all that stuff, diet, social life. But the biggest suggestion I would make is to create time for yourself. We are so good about prioritizing other people and taking every last meeting and pushing ourselves to do whatever. But I, I urge people to like schedule three, four, five hours on like a Wednesday night, Sunday morning, it doesn't matter when, and turn off your phone, turn off your computer, and do something that is totally and completely for you. And there's two awesome things about this. One, when you eliminate the distractions, oh and by the way, like this idea of scheduling time for yourself or taking yourself on a date, like you have to do it by yourself. You can't bring your significant other or your best friend or whatever. Um, And the reason this is so important and a really good first step is one, by eliminating distractions and quieting your life down with no phone, no computer, no other people, is a lot of the shit in your head or in your heart starts to become more obvious and you can no longer ignore it. And the reason that so many people make themselves super busy, they surround themselves with technology, they always have music and podcasts playing, is because they're afraid to hear who they truly are. They're afraid to see how much pain that they're in. And if you are one of those people and you start to feel the pain, don't run from it. Don't run from it. Everybody in the world wants to run from that pain. I get that. I've been there. But the further you run from it, the more intense it's going to get, and the longer you're going to have to deal with it for. Yeah. So if it starts to come up when you you create space for yourself, uh, lean into that. Sit with that. Let it wreck you for a second and show you who you are. Because processing that will be one of the first steps in allowing you to actually become authentically and genuinely happy. And not happy because you just bought a Porsche or a Tesla and you have joy and it's pleasurable, or I shouldn't say joy, but bought a Tesla, whatever, Ate a candy bar and it's pleasure, it's something fleeting. When you process this shit you're holding onto and you start seeing who you truly are, that's when you access like this, I think it's Camus that said, I found within the dark winter an eternal spring or something like that.
1: Yeah, you're asking the wrong guy.
2: (laughs) And when you see yourself for who you are, that's when you get it. And the other thing that happens when you create a couple hours, and I urge people to do this, and this is a mandatory for the the people that I work with carefully. I, I hope people carve out a few hours every week just for themselves. The other thing that's great about that is suddenly you are treating yourself like somebody that you love, somebody that's worth respect, somebody that's worth connecting to and deserving empathy and compassion, and all these great human things that we often deprive ourselves with, because like if you just imagine for a second your girlfriend or one of your parents or somebody that you love really dearly and they're coming to visit you probably what you would do is schedule a couple hours and figure out something they really enjoy doing if you want to like show this person how awesome they are and how much you care about them and then you do it with them and that's a delightful charming thing to do with another human but you should extend that same love and compassion and attention to yourself and 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 you do that by doing it
1: yeah that's true you can't pay lip service
2: to this process right yeah. And there's, there's a little bit of like psychological sleight of hand that happens with that too. And that is that like we tend to believe that our feelings inspire our actions. So you wake up in the morning and you feel super motivated. So you go to the gym and you crank out some reps. And that is absolutely one of the ways that human behaviors work. But what we tend to miss is that also our actions can inspire and create our feelings. So like, if you wake up in the morning and you're not feeling motivated to go to the gym, but it's important to you, a really nice thing to do is lace up your shoes and make an agreement with yourself and say, look, I'm gonna go to the gym. I'm just gonna do one lightweight rep. And if I still don't have the motivation to crank it out, I'll release myself. I'll go back home, watch Netflix, eat pizza. But the magic thing is like, because you're already doing the the actions, nine times out of 10, the emotions start to follow. Same exact thing happens with prioritizing yourself. You might think, no, I'm an asshole. I don't have time to do this. I don't deserve to whatever, poke around a used bookstore for five hours or or go to a movie by myself, but you force yourself to do it, and suddenly you start, your your sense of self-worth starts increasing considerably, and you start feeling a lot better about your work and your life and yourself.
1: Yeah, see, that's the that's the problem I can totally see happening with this, right, is, is you go, oh, well, you know, I don't deserve to do this thing for myself today, because look at my inbox, or I don't deserve to do this thing for myself today because I haven't even come close to returning all the phone calls that I've got, and those people are counting on me. How can I be so selfish, right? So yeah. that it becomes a problem because you start viewing it as selfish instead of like a mandatory, you gotta treat it like a business meeting.
2: Yeah. To, yes, I I wish people would treat it like a business meeting and invest as much in themselves as they do in their business, as they do in like other people's perception of them, as they do in like their partner or their family's happiness. Because if you do invest in yourself like that, everything else around you benefits from it. Because you're happier, more energetic, more creative, more engaged, and your life just flows better.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like it can be really complicated to, or not complicated. It's simple. It can, it seems like it could be difficult though to bring yourself to think about it in that way, because it's actually for you, right? And, and we're always our own last priority. Not, not everyone, but many folks, for sure.
2: Yeah, you're right. And, and what I tell people is like, look, if, you're, if your life is going how you want it to, and for a lot of people, their lives are that's great. I, I want more people like you. Don't change too much. Like Whatever you're doing, you're in your zone, awesome. But if your life isn't going how you want it to, And like you're waking up feeling stressed, or you're not engaged, or you wish you weren't doing what you're doing, or where you are, like you need to make a change. I I imagine a lot of the people that you work with, Jordan, that are attracted to your stuff are fairly well-educated people. And in the Western world, we value education a ton. And to some degree, we should. But what that implies is that we can think ourselves out of problems, um, which just, it doesn't work. You, You need to take action to actually solve a problem. So again, if your life is going how you want it to, perfect, I want more people like you. If not, realize that you're gonna have to make a couple changes to get the results you want and a really nice change to experiment with. And I'm not even saying commit to for a year, just commit for, for next week is prioritizing yourself and carving out five hours to do something you wanna do.
0: Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions
1: apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, back to Jason Connell. how do we even pick what we wanna do? I think a lot of us don't even know. We go, oh okay, I gotta do something I wanna do. And then they, they're they like, I gotta work out because I look like crap. <laughs> and then they're like, you know what else I wanna do? I wanna go grocery shopping because the refrigerator's empty and I really wanna cut the lawn or the bushes because those look like crap. I mean, you end up like not really doing what you wanna do, you end up running errands.
2: Yeah, for sure. And like, you have to be mindful about that and I'm glad that you pointed out one thing, real quickly, or like I, I got to go to the gym. I look like crap. I'm sure you know this, but it's it's a worthwhile reminder for myself. One of the most attractive features in a person is not is like their vivacity and the light flowing through them and their passion and engagement. So like a lot of times, if the choice is between like do something that's going to light you up and make you feel electric, or go to the gym and your goal is to draw other people to you, actually do that first thing that lights you up and makes you feel like filled with electricity. But my friend Charlie Hone has a really great trick for figuring out like what it is you love to do if, you're, if you've become so disconnected. What he recommends people do, and I love this, I've got a massive benefit from it, is think back to what you loved doing as a kid and then do something like that or do the same thing now. So like I love, <laughs> I was just I'm, this is a different story, but I'm on a huge North American road trip right now. And I spent a lot of time with one of my childhood friends, a guy named Mike. And Mike and his brother had literally 40 plus Nerf guns when we were kids. Oh, wow. And like the best thing in the world was to get all our guy friends over to Mike's house and just have huge Nerf battles. So what, what Charlie would suggest, and I think this is brilliant, is think back to what you loved as a kid and then either give that same thing to yourself now, like go buy a Nerf gun, which I have uh, back at my, at my place, or do something similar, like go to a paintball thing or go to a laser tag thing. That's pretty crazy.
1: You know what? Can I tell you I just did paintball recently? Don't do paintball if you <laughs> haven't done it. You, I have bruises everywhere and I got shot in the head and I'll tell you on my scalp. It's so painful that I saw stars, quite literally like those flashes of lightning. And I've separated my <laughs> shoulder before. I've I've had like dislocated thumbs. You know, I've gotten punched out before. This was by far the most painful thing I've ever Experience. I've I've had nails go through my foot. Getting shot in the head (laughs) with a paintball was excruciating. It was absolutely terrible. Anyway, side note. But I'm still dealing with it. I'm still I still can't even touch part of my hair because when I touch my hair that's growing into that spot, I just feel like this shooting pain. It's really nasty. And like if it weren't healing, I'd be at the doctor. Wow, brutal. So to stay away from paintball, but laser tag sounds safe. Yeah, okay, go with laser tag in that case. Yes, but you know, it's it pays to go the sort of juvenile fun route. Going back to what you're saying, because you, th- th- things that are designed for kids are actually designed to be safe. They're designed for minimal thinking. They're designed to be really, really easy. So something like that's really fun. Because if say you go cycling, right, th- that's good for you. It's fun. It's something I find relaxing, but you've got to plan ahead, you've got to make sure your bike's in good mm. condition, you've got to go out there, weather conditions play a role, you've got to make sure you can get back to where you're going, you've got to navigate. That might be fun, it might be something for you, but when you really, really, really want to unplug, you've got to do something that's so autopilot that you could screw up everything and not get injured, hurt, or lost. And so I think laser tag and things like that are a are, are really good outlet for it because you reconnect with your childhood and also you can't screw it up. <laughs> you can't yeah, get injured yeah, and you yeah. can't
2: fall. Another good one that like, reminds me a lot of childhood is um, improv classes, which has tons of great side effects for people that want to like, both improve their happiness and improve their social skills. But largely, and especially at the beginning levels of improv, like, it's just playing games. It's like recess for adults. It's really phenomenal.
1: That seems like you could be nervous doing that, though. It seems like that might be a little bit of a stretch for a lot of people. I always recommend improv, though, because I think it does get you outside your comfort zone in a fun way, but uh, I think for some people who aren't professional speakers and performers, <laughs> it might be a little bit like, whoa, go up there and be jokey in front of people? I've never done that before.
2: Yeah, for sure, and like for the, for the pure concept of like a date with yourself, get better at treating yourself like somebody who is awesome and deserves love and compassion and all the great things in the world, if improv is gonna make you nervous, don't do improv. If you like the idea, then like go to a comedy show or something like that, but don't, it, this is not the time or the exercise to leave your comfort zone.
1: Perfect. Well, how did you come up with all this stuff as well? I mean, what what was the thing that prompted you to do it? Were you just like one day, hey man, self-love and stuff. That's my thing. <laughs> I mean, no. obviously you hit the wall somewhere, I'm imagining. Yeah, sure. I, I. This is, it's a little bit of a dark story and a very personal
2: one, but one that I've, Become comfortable discussing. Um, about two and a half years ago, so here, here are the things that were true two and a half years ago. I was dating this phenomenal woman named Emily. I was living with one of my best friends in the world, a guy named Will, and uh, another guy, a friend who I was was knew well and was very close to, named Rob, was alive. And then over the course of three weeks that just seemed like a total haze, all of that changed. Um, Will and I had been living together. He he was a very close college friend and I moved to Washington, D.C. because I wanted to spend more time with him. And we were sharing an apartment for three or four years and he was moving out. He he was moving out of our apartment to move in with his girlfriend. And a month or two later, I was gonna move out of my apartment to move in with my girlfriend, um, or move out of the apartment Will and I shared to move in with my girlfriend. And um, I remember packing the U-Haul van. With Will, and it was our guy friends. And I had to duck into the bathroom because I was was like choking back tears and I didn't want to cry in front of my guy friend. I was just, or guy friends. I was just really sad to see Will leave. And it was no big deal because I was was really excited that Emily and I were going to be living together. And I had just, I was flying out of Washington, D.C. to go to Maine where I had a, a speaking tour. And I remember getting ready to go on the plane. Emily called me and said, you know, uh, I just got this job offer, it's this, like, my dream job, but it's in Alaska and I really want to take it. And I was at a point in my life where I wanted to pull the people that I love in closer to me. Emily was at a point in her life where what she needed to do was invest in her career, and that was totally the right decision for her, but our relationship wasn't able to take that intense distance, because she also, that was also one of the places in the world where I couldn't run my business from, I couldn't really be a very effective speaker because of how the airports are, mm-hmm. and I couldn't get to my clients. Um, So then Emily and I decided to break up and it was a, you know, it was a loving, good breakup as far as those things go. Remarkably painful, but done for the right reasons. And um, all of those things, you know, that those are two shitty events all at once, but things that I might've been able, might've been equipped to handle. And then just shortly thereafter, after Em and I broke up, uh, one of my friends, this guy named Rob died, He's 28 years old and his heart just sort of stopped. And this spun me out big time. I, I, I've never been a big drinker and I was just drinking myself to sleep. I was waking up, uh, had no, not even enthusiasm for, for life, just like no desire whatsoever to be a human. And at the same time, as my personal life was kind of collapsing, my professional life was just lighting up, lighting up to the point where like, I'm getting requests from around the world to speak on leadership and, and how people can, at the time I was talking, the phrase I used was, escape the matrix, how you can sort of free your mind from the influence of society and marketing and and be more of who you truly are. Um, So my personal life's collapsing, my professional life is flourishing, and I feel like I'm in the middle of the storm and it's all just terrible. And I I literally woke up one day and realized like, oh shit, the problem I'm having is that my confidence is shot. Like People don't know who I am professionally, they just see this version of me on stage. And then also my personal life has collapsed and I, I can't move through the world anymore unless it's just to work. And I spent a lot of time trying to understand where authentic confidence came from. Not the fake it till you make it thing, which is popular and mm-hmm. for some people works. But the the sense of waking up and being like, ah, I can do what I want to do. I can leave my comfort zone. And, and my the desires and wishes that I have are things that I can fulfill, even though it might take work. Um, and what I learned through, to some degree reading, to some degree interviewing experts, but to a large degree, like, experimenting and living and seeing how things went for me was that the real root of confidence is self-love and self-compassion. And then as I'm on this this speaking tour, trying to fix my personal life, I realized I'm not offering myself any self-love or self-compassion in my professional life. And we talk about like work-life balance and we talk about the divide between our personal lives and our professional lives, but that, that's not real. Like You're still the same human when you wake up and you're, you're playing with your kid or talking to your girlfriend, as you are when you're you know, in your cubicle or on a sales call or whatever it is you do professionally. It's not like you blink twice and you're a different human at work and you blink two more times and you go back home. You're still the same human. So it was this weird confluence of like almost unmanageable professional success happening at the same time as almost unmanageable personal difficulty or personal pain and depression that sort of woke me up. It's like, ah, you know what's missing from my life is self-love and self-compassion. And because I have, you know, I'm very blessed to have access to really high-performing people by my my line of work. I've worked with everybody from members of President Obama's cabinet through, the other day I gave a lecture in a sixth grade classroom. I, I noticed that what was true for me was also true for a lot of other people and that they were neglecting themselves. So this is a long, long answer of how I came to what I'm speaking on and what I'm consulting on now.
1: Yeah, wow. And you've always been kind of a speaker and a performer, actually. I mean, is it true that you're like one of those child entertainers? <laughs> Do you have the package? I have the package. Okay, this delights me.
2: Yes, uh, I, I didn't talk about this very much until the past like year and a half when a friend sort of helped me realize I should talk about it and that it's a real part of my narrative. Um, I was a child entertainer, a professional magician. When I was nine, I was paid to perform at my neighbor's birthday party for like 10 bucks. I was very, very fortunate in that I had an excellent mentor who came from the entertainment management world. He managed a handful of just remarkably successful performers. And uh, he mentored me totally for free, and by the time I was 18, I was doing as many as six shows a week, oftentimes for hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, my clients included professional sports teams and Fortune 500s. So yes, I have sort of grown up on the
1: stage. I, I'm imagining you're like on the Denver Broncos and they're like, hey, we're gonna have entertainment at the party and they're like, yeah. And this like 11 year old <laughs> kid walks on stage and is like, here's a dove. And the dove is gone. <laughs> and you're like, they're like, that's not what I had in mind. So that your read on that, Jordan, is 100% accurate.
2: So when you're like a 14-year-old child performer, there's not a lot of circumstances where you're going to get harassed by the audience or heckled by the audience because you know they're going to give you a lot of leeway, leeway. You're a kid. But there's this one professional sports team, and I'll say that it, it was a hockey team, and I was performing for them on a, sp- on a school night. So I, like, I literally had to go to
1: high school the next day. <laughs> You're like, guys, guys, calm down. Everybody take their seats. I have math really early tomorrow. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's just the act before me was this comedian
2: who when I was like 14 or 15 and all of this happened, like it was just like the dirtiest, most ribald stuff I had ever heard. And then all of a sudden there's this, like, this awkward 14 year old in a white, trappy white tuxedo looking back that I thought was pretty awesome. Doing like weird magic tricks for these, these athletes and their girlfriends and their families. And it just did not go well, and it was one of the two times in my career where I got heckled. And looking back, rightfully so, because I wasn't a good match for them.
1: Yeah, who booked that? I mean, that's like that's such a ridiculous idea. Somehow, it's like Polly Shore goes on, and then then like Jason Connell's going to perform acts of illusion, and <laughs> like whatever. That's basically it. Like
2: weird rope tricks that no like if you actually had magic powers, no magician would actually do. Um, so that was that was not that was a really weird experience.
1: That's so bizarre. Yeah, I could. I took when I saw that, I was like, "That's not real." But you've got something that you're gonna that we're gonna do right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to set this up, I have mailed something to Jordan. I actually mailed to
2: him a few weeks ago. Yeah, and I'm gonna do my best to perform a trick for you, Jordan, and, and the listeners over 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 the the airwaves. And what we'll need to do, Jordan, is like. You and I will need to sync up. We're gonna start slowly, uh, and I'm gonna walk you through the instructions just to make sure that the lines of communication are clear. And then on your end, since you are the one having the direct experience, what I would love it is if you were just like, and you're good at this in general, but just describing what's happening um, so that the audience knows that this is like an authentic thing that's happening in this moment as we're talking together. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So you have a package that I sent you a couple weeks ago. Go ahead and open that up. Okay. Uh, and. I think inside, if I remember correctly, you'll probably find another envelope. But go ahead and let okay. me know what you find. Yes,
1: it says "Do not open until instructed." Exo Jason and I took a picture <laughs> of it next to my microphone with the recording sign in the background, just to extra extra prove that it's real. And it, we can put it in the show notes. We might even be able to make it the show art. So cool! All right, that'd be great. So let's hang on a second. Let me. There we go. Opening. Oh, there's a lot of staples in this thing. Hang on a second. Okay, there, there is a deck of cards in here. Okay, perfect.
2: Um, so what I'd like you to do is remove the deck from the box and then just put it on the table in front of you. Okay. And let me know once you've done
1: that. There's a bunch of cards facing all different directions. It doesn't matter, right? Or- oh, are these like jokers and advertisement cards? Yes. Oh,
2: yeah. oh sorry, just get rid of those. You, you, we don't need those. Okay. Um, so what you should be looking at, is it a red deck or a blue deck? It's a blue deck. Okay, cool, so you should just be looking at the the blue backs of the cards, is that right?
1: Yeah, so the cards are out of the box as instructed, it's down on the table. Okay,
2: Now perfect. Jordan, what what I'd like you, I I said this before, but what's important is that you and I sort of communicate clearly in a way that you understand, so if you have questions, or if something is ambiguous at all, please let me know, because it's important for us to sync up. Um, What I'd like you to start by doing is basically like taking about half of the cards, off of the, the top of the deck, moving it over to the right, and then putting the bottom half on top of the half, Okay, like cutting the deck.
1: So take the top half of the cards, put them over to the right, cutting the deck, and then what, stack them again? Yeah, and then the part that's on the left,
2: just put that on top now. Okay. So you effectively cut the deck like a the, poker game. Cut
1: the deck, Hand cool. and what I'd like you to do, and
2: don't even necessarily tell me how many times you've done that, but just cut the deck again, like move a chunk from the top over to the right, move the bottom pack back on top. It can be, you know, one card, it can be 37 cards, whatever. Just cut the deck a, a few times and tell me once you're done.
1: Okay, so I'm just kind of cutting the deck over and over and over. Yeah, and exactly. Over and over. Okay, I've cut it like six times or five times or something. We're good.
2: Okay, cool, and, and and to be completely transparent, I'm not 100% sure this is gonna work because it's not a okay. it's not like a surefire thing. Might but what not I'd work. like you to do now is, um, so the deck is like complete in front of you, right? Yes. Okay, so from the top, what I'd like you to do is deal three cards, the first card to the left, the second card to the middle, the third card to the right, all face down, and tell me once you've done that.
1: Done, dealt three cards out in front of me.
2: Good, so we're gonna focus our attention on those three cards, and I wanna just quickly demonstrate how difficult it is for, to do what it is that I'm, att- I'm about to attempt to do or what we're gonna do together. Okay. Um, place your finger on the middle card and picture, tell me if you think it's a, a club or a spade or a heart or a diamond.
1: I think it's a, uh, a diamond. Okay, you think it's a diamond? Yes. Uh, do you think it's a face card or a number card? Oh, uh, I don't know. Let's go with face card. Okay, cool.
2: And do you think it's a jack, queen, or king of diamonds? I
1: think it might be the jack of diamonds. Okay, turn over that card and tell me how you did. I did terribly. How did, what what was it? It's the ace of clubs.
2: It's the ace of clubs. Okay, so we've established the sort of difficulty of what we're trying to do. And by the way, don't worry about that. That happens to me all the time. It is way harder to predict a card than anybody would ever imagine. So you're looking now at the ace of clubs and two face down cards, is that right? Right. Okay, cool. Um, Put your hand on, or turn over one of the cards. Okay, wow. And I want you to start off by focusing on the color and I'm sensing that this is a black card, is that right? It is not a black card. It, okay, it is a red card. All right, yes. so let me try again. Uh, I'm sensing that this is a diamond, is it that is. right? It is, okay, it is a good. diamond. Uh, and I'm sensing that it is a number card. It is, is a right? number card. And I think the card that you're looking at, if you could just focus carefully on the number, is I believe it's the eight of diamonds? It is the eight of diamonds. Yes. So that's pretty impressive, okay. that's pretty cool. Okay, so now what I'd like you to do is you should be looking at uh, two face-up cards and one face-down card. Put your hand on the face-down card, but don't actually turn it over. And what I want you to do is just like feel the connection. This is gonna sound a little strange, but feel the connection between your hand and the card. And what I'm sensing, this is really tough, but what I'm sensing is that it's a black card, that it's a club that you're looking at the nine of clubs. Go ahead and turn that over and tell me how I did.
1: You think it's the nine of clubs? All right. Yeah, It is the nine of clubs. <laughs> yes.
2: Awesome. Jordan, you are a very, very, very talented clairvoyant. Excellent job communicating that information to not, me.
1: Not bad, man. And I didn't think you were going to get it, but you nailed that last one. Okay, good. I'm really glad to hear that. Thinking about you know the art of charm,
2: when I was a child entertainer, when I was a magician, I would always, after shows, get these weird guys coming up to me and being like, teach me how to pick up women. And I was like, do you mean how to do sleight of hand? And they're like, no, like you can use magic to get girls. And I always thought that was the strangest thing because like, magic not once in my life got me a date or a kiss or any real like, romantic interest from girls.
1: Right, you're, you're like, dude, first of all, there's jail time involved in asking a 14-year-old kid <laughs> to help you try to pick up chicks. <laughs> Additionally, I'm 15, what do you think I know about picking up women? Yeah, especially that you like twenty-five
2: year old dude don't know. Like this it it was really a strange thing. That was like that was like my introduction to this idea of like picking up women.
1: They're like, oh, women have to be picked up? Usually I just do magic tricks at their birthday parties and it's it's all downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that was basically my experience through high school. Guys that
2: go that route, I feel like, is so off the scent because they're worried about impressing people when all you really need to do is form a human connection. Yeah. And you you can, like, feel if it's reciprocal. Like, when you, when you learn to, like, feel this human connection is like this mutual thing, I'm attracted to her or him, uh, and she or he is attracted to me, like, it takes so much of the pressure and quote unquote game away. And then you just sort of need the audacity to, I don't know, make a move.
1: All right, back to the show. Now, you've you started off the beaten path, right? I mean, being a child magician doing shows for Fortune five hundreds and the friggin' Oakland Raiders or whatever. (laughs) I mean, you've got a history that says, All right, I'm not gonna be a normal standard guy who goes to grows up, goes to college, gets a regular nine to five. So it seems a little bit Easy for you to say, to be like, leave the beaten path. And it's like, dude, you never even, you don't even know where that path is anymore. You diverged when you were nine. That was like second grade. So how do we do that if we're sitting here going, yeah, easy for you to say, I've been in this nine to five for four years.
2: Yeah, so great question. So the first step always is to like, check in with yourself, be honest with yourself. I have a lot of friends that have mortgages and nine to fives and like Roth IRAs and stuff like that that are like, on the beaten path, and they love it. By no means do I believe everybody needs to leave the beaten path. Now that said, when you look at where the beaten path leads us, if you just sort of assume that the average American is on the beaten path, uh, it leads you to being fairly overweight. It leads you to watching tons and tons and tons of television every single day. And it leads you to uh, dying with, in many, many cases, a decent amount of debt. Um, So if you... Or the type of person that kind of you check in with yourself. And what I mean by that is, like, in many cases, literally asking yourself. And what I encourage people to do is like pen and paper, write down the question, How am I? Am I happy? Do I enjoy my life? And then honestly answer that. And if you check in with yourself and you realize that, you know what, things aren't going how I want them to go, it's, it's really flashy. Like a lot of speakers say, like, and make a change overnight, like, whatever, quit your job and say F you to your boss and fly off to Bali. And that's ridiculous. Like that's such a bold task that nobody's ever going to do it. The real way that people change is slowly and incrementally. So if you feel called off the beaten path or if you feel as though what you're doing right now doesn't work for you, my suggestion is to figure out something that might be really, really exciting for you and and then slowly work towards it. So I meet a lot of people who want to start their businesses and be entrepreneurs. And the cultural narrative that we have around that is like what I just said. You say F you to your boss and then you like go in a garage and you build the next great tech company. And maybe one out of a million people succeeds at doing that. A much better path is to like slowly decide, you know what, I, I think I might want to try working for myself. And then you move that forward just a little bit each day So or each week. So week one, maybe you find an entrepreneur that started a business related to one that you want to do. And you ask her to get a cup of coffee and you pick her brain. Week two as you figure out how much money you're actually going to need to have saved up so that you can invest in your business and yourself and leave your, bo- and leave your job. And you start sort of slowly saving that money up. The real change is, is in baby steps. And you're right to observe that it's been a while since I've been firmly planted on the beaten path. And believe me, there are times when I really, really want to be because people that are listening that, have left the beaten path know that along with that comes a very real sense of isolation at times, almost crippling. Yeah. Um, that doesn't change the reality that the way you leave the beaten path, the way you are true to yourself, is just sort of incremental, baby steps. I mean, that's exactly how I do it to this day.
1: Yeah, a lot of people who do sort of bounce off the beaten path, to use the cliche, we kind of, and I say we, because obviously I'm not really a nine to fiver myself, it's really easy to blur reality and talk about how cool it is, and you know, I try to do kind of a counterpoint to that in a lot of ways, where I'm like, hey, by the way, remember those, I used to call them post office days, where I'd wake up in the morning and want to get a job at the post office, because being an entrepreneur sucked so bad, my stress level was so high, my hair was falling out, and I hated my whole life ever, like everything in my life, I mean, and it was just terrible, and I, I was super depressed. And that was during AOC, like this is during like some (laughs) of the times when I was running this business. Now I love it, but it's really easy to forget all of the constant rejection and all the the neat, like the way you have to dig deep and motivate yourself because you don't want to remember that stuff because it's painful. So when you talk to other people about it, you're like, yeah, being an entrepreneur rules. And then you see this other camp of entrepreneurs and businessmen whose job it is to sell you the dream like, oh, just buy my course, and you'll eliminate all that pain. So they're minimizing it, too, except when it makes sense for them to market, like, are you in debt? Do you find it hard to build your fan base? Buy this product I have. So it's very difficult to get accurate reflections on this stuff. And it's really hard to have a frank conversation because it's rarely discussed.
2: Yeah, and I I, I love you so much for having just shared that with, with me and with the people listening everybody that I know that has gone on to like successfully build a business or leave the beaten path or like take the find the courage to be true to who they are has dealt with a certain amount of struggle around that. And you have to really feel that what you're doing is so true to you that you're willing to make that sacrifice because it's gonna be crappy. I mean, I had days where, I had many, many, many days where I couldn't even afford to like get a beer or a coffee with my friends and I would just lie and be like, oh no, I'm busy. Because I don't want to say that I was that poor and that strung out and and that like struggling. So what happens is exactly what you said. People compare, So you know, a young podcaster is going to look at you and they'll say, wow, Jordan's got a huge fan base. He is very influential. He's fairly famous for what he does. I want to be like that. And you just gave those people such a gift because you said, look, I I struggled to get here. There was days when I wanted to work at the post office. And these people that are aspiring to be a, a man like you when they're struggling, they'll feel less alone. And I'm so glad that you shared that because it's such a true narrative of many, many, many people's story, and it's just one that they don't share, which is criminal.
1: Well, thank you for that. But I share it all the time here. People are probably sick of it, but I appreciate you saying that. Um, You've actually got a really good resource here about forming a deeper connection with yourself. I think it might be good to wrap with that. I mean, you've got a really interesting exercise, which is interview yourself and you've even got some questions, we'll make it a, like a link or a download or something available to people, we'll link that up in the show notes. You've got a list of questions. What's the, how do we interview ourselves? Why do we do this? Why is it important? I think this is a great place to wrap. Yeah, I, I, I would love to
2: close on that note. So let's start with why that's important and then we'll talk about the process of actually doing it. The reason it's important to interview yourself or form a real deep, authentic connection with yourself is because most people go through life without ever truly knowing who they are. And I had a moment where I was on a date with this girl, she's a really sweet girl, As 22, I was in Montreal, and she had asked me, Jason, what are, your, what are your three passions in life? And at 22 I just started building my business, Ignited Leadership, and without hesitating, I was like, oh, Ignited Leadership. And then she's like, oh, what are your other two? And I couldn't think of them. Like I had become so wildly disconnected from myself that I couldn't name my three passions, the three things I love the most in the world. And I've gone on to ask that question to a lot, a lot, a lot. We're we're talking thousands of people. And the normal thing is for people to be so disconnected from themselves that they can't name their three passions. And what happens when we're disconnected from ourselves is the world superimposes itself on poppy you. Like politicians tell you what to think, marketers tell you what to buy, your friends tell you what to wear, whatever. And I am a victim of this as well. Unless you create the space in your life to actually connect to yourself, you'll be a victim of that. So, and the other really good reason why people should take the time to connect with themselves is that this is where genuine confidence comes from. Knowing who you truly are is the foundation of, of authentic confidence that will drive you to sort of Get whatever it is you want out of life. And the process that I go through with myself and many, many, many of my clients and audience members and what I urge the people listening right now to do is to schedule a couple hours. And I used to say just do it in one day. Now what I've realized is that if you stretch the process out over a month or two, you're gonna get much more out of it. And what I hope people do Is literally put in their calendar like Sunday mornings. And this is a process I go through with myself once or twice a year. Um, And I schedule Sunday mornings from about nine to noon as just pure Jason reflection interview time. And again, like taking yourself on a date, the goal is to be totally present with yourself. So no phone, no computer, no friends. Go to a coffee shop or a lake or wherever you can focus easily and ask yourself, Big, bold, open-ended questions. And I'll give you a few examples in a second, and we can link to, to more in the show notes. But the, the, the real trick to answering these questions is to write down the answers, like pen and paper. That does two things. One, um, when you look at brain activity, one of the highest instances of electrical activity in the brain when you're fully engaged is when you are writing, especially physically writing. Um, and two, the other thing is it forces you to crystallize your thoughts, because oftentimes our thoughts are sort of like this gaseous thing, and we're not totally aware of their contents. When you force them into words, that creates something clear. So what I want people to do, schedule that time, ask themselves big, open-ended questions, and here's two really, really, really nice ones. One is, if I was going to die three months from now, what would I do? How would my life be different? And this question is going to give you access to a lot of what's actually important to you. The other question that I think everybody should spend time thinking about is: you know, if I had a billion dollars or a hundred million dollars, just effectively infinite money, what would I do? And suddenly what happens when you ask yourself these two questions, and if you can find the crosshairs, is you find a lot of truth and you find a lot of energy. And I'm gonna send you a, a PDF that you can share with your with, with the listeners with more questions. But as you're asking yourself these questions, there's a couple of things to tune into. One is sometimes when you're answering questions, you're going to feel super energetic and super alive. And that's you. Like that is your truth. And what happens to many, many, many people I see. And these are the people, by the way, that go on to like watch four hours of TV a night and drink way too much. and, And they sort of die way before they die while they're alive is they feel every now and then they feel that sensation of being alive and they get really excited that electricity courses through their body. But then their head kicks in and lists a million reasons why they can't do that. So maybe what's true to you is that you are somebody that has been working in finance for a while, but you you want to be a poet and you uncover this or you learn this about yourself. And when you think about being a poet, you get electrified and you get excited. The way that you will get messed up is by your brain saying, no, you're a finance guy. If you become a poet, there's no way you'll be able to make a living. You don't have enough talent. Ignore that. that that's bullshit. And it's mostly rooted in fiction. So when you feel that sense of excitement, chase that down the rabbit hole that's going to give you huge insight to who you truly are. And the other thing revolves around vulnerability and confidence. And we tend to think of confidence as being the situation of being bulletproof. And it's just not. Like Genuine confidence is the ability to stretch yourself and and to leave your comfort zone. And the way that I think of it is genuine confidence is the ability to let your passion and excitement overwhelm your fear and anxiety. Confidence is the ability to let your excitement overwhelm your fear. And... Doing that requires vulnerability. So when you are asking yourself these broad, open-ended questions, another question that I think everybody should ask themselves is, what lies am I telling myself? What lies am I telling other people? Mm, To answer that honestly requires a huge amount of vulnerability. And I encourage people to lean into that. You don't have to be honest with the world around you, though I hope you are. Life goes better when you do. But you've got to start by being honest with yourself. And that comes with being okay, being a little bit vulnerable. In that space where you're interviewing yourself, that's a great space to do it because it's going to give you the foundations of authentic confidence and connect you deeply to who you are.
1: Great. Thank you so much, man. This has been really informative and and kind of, really fun, especially the trick. I I didn't see that coming. I think it's a cool like change of pace for the show. We've never done a trick on the show live, that's for sure. And I can't believe it worked, frankly. It's cool.
2: (laughs) Thanks. I'm honored to have been the first.
1: Yes, you're welcome. And thank you for your time, man. We'll have your stuff linked in the show notes. We'll have a list of questions for you to interview yourself in the show notes as well. Thanks so much, Jason. Much appreciated. Been a total honor, Jordan. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Interesting show, producer Jason, Jason Connell did a pretty good job, what do you think? I thought he knocked it out of the park. You know, it's funny, because I love the process of interviewing yourself, and that was definitely one of the highlights from this episode, but I will say the other highlight was doing a magic trick live on the show and then having it kind of not, I really thought it was just not gonna work, and then it did. That was pretty badass, I gotta say. I gotta hand it to him. I mean, it takes a lot of balls to do a magic trick, you know, now I'm starting to think like I feel like maybe I we've been we done been tricked. So <laughs> we've been duped. We've been duped. I've been tricked. I don't know, love that show, love that guy. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show's a fanarchy, it's run by you. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse, so if you know someone is a good fit for the show, let us know, guests at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Jason on Twitter, we'll have that linked in the show notes as well as uh, the other resources, including the questions that you can use to interview yourself, and you can tap our album art in most mobile podcast players to see the show notes right on your phone or your device. I also post a lot of stuff on Twitter that never makes it to the show. I'm at the Art of Charm on Twitter. Bootcamp details, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Remember, we're sold out months in advance. Plan ahead, get in touch now. Subscribe on iTunes and write us a review. We will love you forever. And it helps us stand out in the ranks so other people can find the show and the credible advice that they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing products and training from us. Special thanks to all of the Jasons involved in this episode of The Art of Charm. Go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks
2: for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at the Art of Charm Podcast.com.